Morning, everybody. My name is Seth. Thank you, Amos, for your prayer this morning. Anybody else excited about the weather this morning? When I was a kid, it was a very improbable thing to have me sit through an entire sermon when it was that nice out and listen to the whole thing without daydreaming. I know the kids here are saying, well, you have some level of control over that, so get on with it this morning. Someone uh, once told me a motto for my preaching should be, try to inspire, be brief, and be seated. So that's what we're going for this morning. I think it's in our nature to love a good homecoming story, a story of coming home. Story writers and filmmakers know this. In 2016, a film came out that was based on a true story. Uh, The name of the movie was Lion. I don't know if anyone saw that. It was about a boy named Saru uh, who grew up in an extremely remote part of India. His family was extremely poor, and Saru's older brother would go and try to find work during the night. At age five, Saru wanted to help his brother, and he convinced him to take him along. That fateful night, Saru awoke, and he couldn't find his brother. Um, His brother had gone out working, and he was looking for him and searching for him all over this, uh, the train station there. And he ended up wandering into, um, onto a train, a passenger train there. No one was on it. It was late at night. And he was scared and he was exhausted and ended up, he fell asleep on that train. And when he woke up, that train was moving. Train ended up going a thousand miles to a place where no one spoke his language and nobody knew who he was. And um, I'm not going to spoil that movie for you, no spoiler alert this morning, but I would encourage you to check that out because this story is about Saru finding his way back home after 26 years of searching for home. So this morning, um, Jesus, uh, he knew the power of a good homecoming story, story of coming home. In fact, one of his best-known stories is the story of a young man coming home. Uh, It's found in Luke 15. I encourage you to turn there this morning. Um, And I want to tell you that story this morning as I remember it. And you can read along, and you can tell me where I've missed things and where I should have said this or that, and I think it'll help you to implant that story in your minds this morning. It's out of Luke chapter 15, I think it's verse 32, it's the third story in in this uh, sequel, or a sequence of three stories that Jesus tells. And this is how I remember that story. There was a father who had two sons. And the younger son came to him and said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. So the father gave the younger son his share of the inheritance. And not too long after that, he took all of his belongings and he set off for a distant country. And while he was there, it didn't take him very long to squander everything that the father had given him. And as his money was running out a famine swept across the land, and he was starving. So he convinced the local farmer to um, allow him to go and feed hogs out in the fields. The young brother went out to the fields, he was feeding the hogs, and he was so hungry that he longed to eat what the pigs were eating in that field. 
And he came to his senses when he was out there, and he said, how many of my father's servants are actually better off than I am? And I'm out here starving to death. He said, I'm going to go home, and I am going to tell my father, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Will you make me one of your servants? So he had that confession in his mind. He began to set off towards home. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him from a distance, and he ran to his younger son, and he kissed him, and he embraced him. And while they're embracing, the son starts to give his confession. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me just one of your servants. And the father uh, looked at him, and he said, no. He said, we've got to celebrate your coming home. He told one of the servants, he said, go get a fatted calf, the one that we've been fattening for this day. Get the ring that belongs on his finger and get sandals for his feet. For my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now back to life. And they went on, they made all the preparations for this party, and they began to sing and dance that the younger son had come home. Meanwhile, there's another brother in this story, and he is out in the fields, and he's working, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he hears something off in the distance, and he begins to come back closer to the home. And he sees a servant, and he says, what's going on over there? And the hired servant says, your brother's come home. We are celebrating, we're dancing, we're making music. The older son was extremely upset, and he refused to go into the party. So what happened? The father came out to the fields, and he began to plead with his older son. The older son looked at his dad, and he says, Dad, all these years I've stayed home. All these years, I've obeyed everything that you asked me to do. You never even killed a goat so that my friends and I could celebrate. The father looked at him and he said, Son, you've always been here. And everything that I have belongs to you. But your younger son has come home. He was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's now found. We've got to celebrate. That's the story out of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I was thinking about, whenever you're you're going to speak on a story like this, there's all kinds of things, especially with Jesus' stories, because his stories, I think, are very relatable to our lives. But I was thinking about preaching this sermon this morning. Uh, And it was Tuesday morning. Um, I, was, I was going out to my work truck, and it was raining, pouring down rain, getting ready to, to head off to work, and I look over at the side of our driveway, and here sits my youngest son's car seat out in the rain. And I had to think about this story, and I thought to myself, that right there would have never happened with my older son, right? Um, my youngest son is six, my oldest son is 11. When Owen... Uh, when we were planning and expecting and having this baby, we had lots of baby showers, right? We got the best stuff because he was the first 
child on either side of the family. He had the best of car seats. He was so well taken care of. He got the baby covers, just all the stuff that you could imagine that the oldest son could have. And I thought to myself, that would never happen with my oldest son, Ezra. Um, And I thought to myself, it's so easy for us to self-identify with some parts of this story, right? So it's, it's, it's no, um, it should be no surprise to us that when, if my younger son were to hear this story, he would probably identify with the younger son. My older son would obviously identify with the elder son. And it's so interesting, even as a parent, as I begin raising my children, and now I'm raising my third child, how differently um, I raise my younger son as a parent to my older son. Um, my older son is very... Uh, he knows all the rules, right? I spend so much of my time trying to, he loves baseball, trying to create games that are fair for he and his younger brother, right? Um, my youngest son um, has no idea of the rules. I was thinking about how um, my, uh, that, that car seat that was sitting there on the driveway probably hasn't been used in a couple weeks. And as a parent, and I, hopefully you aren't shocked by that, but as a parent, it's just one of those, what are they called? The little booster seat. It's like, how is that going to help in this situation? And I start playing these things over in my mind. I think, well, he's a big kid. I'd probably be able to convince the cop that he's older than he is. I mean, all these things start to run through my mind. Um, and my younger son, he's not aware of rules. So oftentimes when we're coming home in the summertime, we have a sunroof. And I open the sunroof. And as soon as we turn into our development, he wants to, me to turn up the music. And he wants to stick his head out through the top of the car. That's just how that rolls. And so it was interesting to me as I thought about this story, how differently even me as a parent, parent based on older and younger children. Um, this morning, I want to briefly share, um, a lot of this is my own story, my story of how I grew up and I heard this story, um, my experience, how I've learned to see this story, this parable differently, and then how seeing it differently has helped me accept the love of the Heavenly Father and pursue a life of freedom, joy, and compassion. So that's where I want to go this morning. Um, I want to first, if you're in, in Luke chapter 15, I want you to look at the occasion that prompted this story, because I think that's important. This is why Jesus told these three stories. It says that the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So the whole occasion for this story is that Jesus, once again, is hanging out with all the wrong people. Um, I oftentimes think in my own life that a good measure for me as someone who desires to follow Jesus is, am I hanging out with the people that most people would say, those are the wrong people to hang out with, because that's what Jesus was doing here. And so he's being accused of hanging out with the wrong people, and so he's going to tell this story. The way I heard this story growing up is that it could be summarized like this. The wayward, prodigal life of the younger son. And if there was a five-part sermon or series, how many weeks do you think we spent on it? Probably about four. We camped on that side of the story. But then we talk about the loving graciousness of the father. And then we spend a very short amount of time talking about the poor attitude of the elder brother. 
And as I heard this story, it was almost like we wanted to keep the nobility, the nobleness uh, of that elder brother intact. Um, and we wanted just to, to tweak his attitude a little bit with this story. Um, a lot of times we often tried to justify maybe how this older brother felt. And that's how, growing up, that was a summary of, of how I came to know this story. But I think um, when we understand this story, not as the story of the prodigal son, but as the story of the prodigal sons, okay? Um, Timothy Keller calls this in his book, The Prodigal God, he says, the parable of the two lost sons. And that has been one of those shifts in my thinking. It's not just the prodigal son who we all kind of know who that's going to be, but it's the parable of the two lost sons. So let me say this this morning. I believe that Jesus is telling us that both of these sons are equally lost and both of these sons are equally alienated from the father. Jesus is telling us that there are two ways of being lost represented by both of these sons. For most of my life, I've been able to say, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm not like the younger son. None of us want to be like that. I haven't squandered all of my life on wild living, so I'm okay. But no story in the scriptures has confronted me more and deconstructed that house of cards that I've created. Because there are two ways of trying to find happiness apart from God. And I believe that we all lean one way or the other way. So let's first talk about what, how we characterize the younger son. I want to describe that as the way of self-discovery. The younger son was interested in this way of self-discovery. Let's talk about some of his character traits. He was brash and proud. He was self-centered. He was demanding. He was reckless in the choices that he made. He wants nothing to do with tradition. He's happy to break away from that. And he's driven by what makes him feel good at the expense of everything else. I don't know. Is that a fair way of describing him, him this morning as you think about that story? All of this comes out in the request that he makes to the father. He says to the father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. This seems rather innocent, but for those in Jesus' Jewish audience, this would have been shocking. Because when do most people get their inheritance? You can answer this morning. After their parent passes away. So what he is saying to his father is that I would prefer if you were out of the picture in my life. Life would be better off if you were gone. Think about how brash and proud that would be for a son to come and say that to his father. But that's in essence what he's doing. He's demanding his, his uh, inheritance before his father's gone. You see, the younger son wants the father's stuff, but he could care less about the relationship with the father. The story goes on to say that the younger son leaves for a foreign country. Luke's gospel here isn't saying that he was just getting a little stir-crazy and itching to see another part of the world. This is a bolder move than that. He's actually breaking uh, ties with the way of living and thinking that's been handed down to him for generation after generation. 
Henry Nouwen wrote a book uh, called The Return of the Prodigal, and he said, more than disrespect, it's a betrayal of the treasured values of family and community. The distant country is the world in which everything considered holy is disregarded. You see, the younger son leaves home hoping to find what he can't find at home. He wants to discover himself in ways that he thinks he can't find at home with the father. So what does the younger son do while in a distant country? He does what's consistent with the way of self-discovery. He experiments. He's finally broken free from the chains that he believes have kept him from discovering meaning in life. And the story says that he squanders everything that he had on wild living. So this is the prodigal that um, we're usually most familiar with and that I was most familiar with growing up. But remember how the story starts. It says that the father had how many sons? Two sons. And if we remember, who is Jesus' target audience with this story? Okay, he's, he's specifically trying to talk to those Pharisees and teachers of the law that were muttering that Jesus was hanging out with all the wrong people. So, um, Timothy Keller says also in his book, he says, the targets of this story are not the wayward sinners, but the religious people that do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is not pleading so much with immoral outsiders as he is with moral insiders. At this point, when the story stops, the tax collectors and sinners are sitting there, and they know who they are in this story. And the Pharisees are probably feeling a little bit proud and a little bit self-righteous, like, yeah, yep, those are the people that are wrong with this world. They're thinking, yeah, that prodigal son needs the compassion of the Father over there. And they're probably thinking, Jesus, if they're so bad like that, why do you spend time with them? Why do you eat with them? Aren't you guilty by association? But the story doesn't finish here. Jesus is now going to put the Pharisees on the spot. The younger brother comes to his senses. He repents, and he returns home. And he's unexpectedly met by the compassion and the grace of the Father, who has never forgotten him. Jesus now goes on to show that there's a second way of being lost, a second way of being alienated from God. What should we call that second way this morning? I want to call it the way of moral conformity, of doing everything exactly right, trying to live a completely clean life and never associate with any of the wrong things. The way of moral conformity is seen in the elder brother, and it's characterized by these things. Pride, self-centeredness, resentfulness, need for control, a sense of entitlement, anger, joyless living, a critical spirit. Where do we see evidence of those things in this story? First of all, the response of the elder brother is initially anger, and he refuses to go in and celebrate. He's shocked that his father would throw a party for his wayward brother. For the elder brother, life has been about getting what you deserve. The younger brother has made poor choices 
And he's reaped the consequences of those choices in that foreign land. And so, basically, he should forfeit his rights to the ownership of the family estate. When the father goes out to him and pleads with him, the older brother says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed one of your orders. The older brother's moral conformity was the way he tried to control the father. Think about that this morning. By the, by the older brother conforming to everything that he, his father had done, he was actually trying to control his father's choices. How so? Because what choice did his father make? His father, the first thing out of his lips were, go get the fatted calf. Go get the ring for my son. Go get the sandals. The older brother's like, dad, what right do you have to do that? He was trying to control him by his right behavior all along. He thinks that because his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, the father should be obliged to deploy the ring, the robe, and the fattened calf the way that he thinks the father should. The elder brother thinks that the father owes him for obeying all those rules. For most of my life, I've believed that the older brother was the one I was supposed to emulate. I was dutiful. I tried to be squeaky clean, straight-laced. And even if this, this older brother in this story had his shortcomings, he's still the one that parents wanted their children to emulate, right? I believe that Jesus is telling this story to show us two ways of being lost. The elder brother is just as lost as the younger brother. So what are you saying this morning, Seth? Are you telling me that we could be a good church-going member, actively serve, be very devout, and actually be alienated from God? I think it's possible, Jesus would say. Our love for the Father and His pleasure can fade and our motivation can change ever so slightly. Let me tell you a story to illustrate that this morning. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So the gardener took it to the king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched, and he discerns the man's heart. And he turned, as he turned to go, the king said to him, Wait! You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden in it. And the gardener was amazed and delighted. He went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the court, and he overheard all of this. So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a black stallion through the court. And he bowed low and he said, My Lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king, discerning his heart, merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. 
but you were giving yourself the horse. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. And I think in that story, we see the heart of that elder brother coming out, how, how very subtly our motives can change and can shift, where we're no longer doing it for the love of the Father, but we're actually doing it for ourselves. We're out in those fields, grumbling resentfully about our work. The elder brother's sins, are, um, they seem so minor, and yet I think Jesus is saying that those both ways of leaving the Father are actually to be held on equal planes. I want to briefly, if that is true, I want to show briefly just how were these two sons actually the same in their ways of leaving the father. Real briefly, the elder brother and the younger brother wanted the father's stuff more than they wanted a relationship with him. I think that's obvious with the younger brother. But how about the older? So if there were two pieces of the pie, right? The father came and he said, I'm going to divide my inheritance in two. Okay, now each brother has, has half of the estate. If the younger brother goes away and squanders half of that and comes back, the father is now going to do what? Because his son has the ring on his finger. He's part of the estate again. What is that going to do to the inheritance for the older brother? He's going to divide that in half again. So I'm not very good at math, but he's going to end up with 50% less than he was before. The elder son in this situation, and I think we can relate to him, he's more concerned about losing his stuff than with his father's excitement and joy. Either way, what would have made the father most happy is having his son come home to the party and having his older brother come and join him there. When he, re- when he refuses, he reveals that he really isn't interested in the father's happiness from the start He's more concerned with how the father's generosity will affect his inheritance. Secondly, they both wanted to control the father. We've touched on that. Keller says they both wanted to get in a position where they could tell the father what to do. And this is the essence of rebellion. It's the only difference is one wanted to be very good and control the father, and the other one wanted to be very bad and control the father through that. Lastly, I think they were the same in that the sons were engaged in self-salvation projects. For the younger son, avoiding the father and discovering truth and significance apart from him was his strategy. He didn't need God and could find happiness by leaving home. For the elder brother, being very moral and not breaking any of the rules was his way of leveraging things with the father. So at this point in the story, you can imagine that the tax collectors and sinners are on one side and the Pharisees are on the other, and they're both pointing the finger at each other, believing that one or the other is what's wrong with the world. As if they were saying, it's the bigoted, intolerant people of the world that cause all their problems on one side. The other saying, no, it's the immoral, irreligious rule breakers that are causing problems in our world. And I think Jesus, and this is what I love about him, is that he had both groups gathered around him, and he was able to disarm and to engage both of them through this story. One of the reasons that this story has become uh, just really important to me in my life is that I am an older brother, and I've come to see myself in this story. Whenever I, 
I step into the, into the scriptures and into the gospels, I see myself as an older brother. Um, it's been the tangent of my journey away from God. Um, I've experienced that lostness of the older brother who's out in the field. And I'm extremely grateful that I serve a God who I believe comes out to the field and pleads with me, wanting me to come into the party. And he's the same father that's waiting on the younger son, ready to embrace and to hug him. My older brotherness uh, came from, um, I grew up in church, I went to Bible college, um, I pastored for three years, but what I noticed in my own heart is that the longer I went doing all the things that I thought that God wanted me to do, the more I felt like I had leverage with God. And so what ended up happening was I started to believe that, um, you know, I was waiting to cash in on all those years of service for when it really mattered and when I finally had something that I really wanted. And then things didn't go the way that I wanted them to go. And you know what some of the words were out of my mouth? But God, I stayed home all these years, God. And I've noticed that my elder brother spirit comes up when those things that I expected and wanted to go a certain way didn't happen that way. And I noticed in my own life uh, that I became filled with anger, resentment. I had a critical spirit and I lost joy. Um, I was grasping for control. All those things that we talked about were true of the elder brother out in the field. Uh, in the spring of 2016, I hit my rock bottom, which I also see as an, a spiritual awakening in my life. Um, I was clinically depressed. I was worn out from ministry. I was angry at God, and I questioned everything. And at that point in my life, I had given up on God. Um, and I'd given up on life pretty much too. But I am so thankful that in that moment that God was merciful and he never gave up on me. And there was a verse that came to me um, in that moment that will always stay with me. It's Psalms 3.3. And it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. And I'm convinced that the Lord intervened in my life. Um, he lifted my head, still remember where I was, and began to convince me that my life could be built on a different foundation. And the crazy thing was is that I started to believe that this Heavenly Father that we sung about this morning actually loved me. Because I was a pastor, and I could believe that God loved you. There was no, I had no trouble with that. But I had trouble believing that God loved me. And it was over time, um, God actually led me to a recovery community. And it was a place where people with hurts, hang-ups, and habits come. And it's not, it's not hard to find ourselves in one of those categories, hurts, hang-ups, and habits. But when I got to this recovery community, I began to see the genius of Jesus' story. Because when I went to the recovery community, guess who I expected to be there? 
Younger brothers. I expected that that's who I would find there and I was going to be out of place. And then I got there and I was like, huh, there's a lot of former pastors like me and people that have taught Sunday school for years and people that own businesses and all of these things that we would characterize as being those who were going after it, like the elder brother, working hard, obeying the rules. And I began to see the Jesus' story that, oh, no, 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 that, that brings us back to the same place, that the extremes of where we can go from the Father actually can lead us to the same place. And you know what? The gracious love of God meets both younger and older brothers at the extremes of where they can go. And as I began to get immersed in that community, um, I felt more and more compelled, you know, to come home to that party that Jesus has been throwing, to celebrate the life that he offers each one of us, no matter where we've gone, how far we've gone, whether we've, in what way we've been alienated from God. So as I've, um, this story has been really helpful for me, and there's always a new wrinkle whenever I come back to it. One of the new wrinkles for me is that I realize that I'm probably always going to be an older brother. I'm going to have older brotherness, right? I, I like conformity, right? Um, in the spring, you know, I, I'm driving, I do a lot of driving with work, and I see guys on motorcycles with long flowing hair, and they're just cruising, and I'm like, man, that would be amazing. I would love to do that. Will I ever do that? No. I will never do that. I would love to be able to do that. People who know me well, would, it would definitely turn ahead if I ever did that. I'm not, that's just not in my nature, right? I'm, I'm, I like the conformity, right? But I've learned to love and respect those who can go do that and enjoy that. Um, but as I've read through this story, I think there's a way for me of saying, yep, I'm drawn to the elder brother way of doing stuff. Always going to be that. But as an elder brother, I can imagine a different ending to this story now. And I want you to consider this alternative ending to the Luke 15 story. And it might go something like this. The elder brother comes to his dad. And he says, Dad... I know my younger brother left last night, and he's in a bad place. And I'm going to need my inheritance too, because I've got to go after him. I know you love him, and I love him too. And I know people are going to question my motives for why I go to do this and go where he goes. But when he comes to his senses... I'm going to be there and able to lead him back home. And dad, I know you're going to leave the porch light on for us when we get back. Think about that ending of the story. Do you see any parallels to what you know of Scripture? Because I think that that ending to the story was the ending that Jesus wrote in himself for us. I think that Jesus actually was the true elder brother. He was the one that left everything that he had, gave up his inheritance, 
because he was interested in saving us. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like that elder brother, the true elder brother. I want to be more like Christ. And I have found that in my own life, when I struggle with being judgmental towards other people, and oftentimes I look at younger brother sins and I say, man, I can't believe the way they're living, I have to come back and say, yeah, but how am I leaving God as I stand in judgment over them, as I stand in self-righteousness over them, as I fail to have joy, as I fail to have love? And then I'm just like, you know what? We're all caught in this. We're all caught in those ways of leaving God. And yet the Father is calling out to us. He's going to embrace the younger son. He's going out to the field to plead with the elder brother. Come on home. Let's have a party. So in closing, I just want to invite you in this story. I mean, I, I hope that maybe what we've talked about will continue on. I want to I invite you this week to have a conversation with someone about how you see, do you feel drawn? Are you, do you see yourself being alienated from God more through the elder brother way of living life or the younger brother way of living life? And I don't think Jesus is, it's not an indictment on this. He's saying, you know what? We all come to the train station and we're all going to depart on one of these trains. So let's talk about how we leave that train station and how we come back to the Father. So I invite you to talk about that this week. Secondly, um, I want to encourage you to check out the movie Lion. Have, watch it with somebody, and then have a conversation about some parallels you see with this story in Luke chapter 15 and that story, because there's actually a lot of them there. And then lastly, um, maybe today this invitation is for you to come home again. I think our hearts are always restless. We have this idea that, that as the prodigal, we leave and we come back and we stay back. And I, I found in my own life that, you know what, I come to the party, I'm like, man, this is great, but then I start wandering back to the fields. And I think God is calling us again, hey, come back. Come back from the distant country. Come back from the field. And let's celebrate the work that I've done, because it's a good work. Um, we sang that song uh, this morning, um, We Serve a Good, Good Father. And that good, good father, he always leaves the porch light on. So in closing, um, let us say, as we've sung this morning, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Those are good words. Let's think on them and let's pray this morning. Father God, this morning, I just thank you uh, for your great love and compassion towards us. I just thank you, Lord, that... um, You are a God who is always coming after, always pursuing us. Um, No matter how we're drifting from you, you're always coming after us, always loving us. Sometimes, Lord, the hardest things to see um, are when we've been trying to do everything right, but we've been doing them for the wrong reason. And you want to invite us back into a life of joy, compassion, and love towards other people. And so, Lord, I just uh, pray that that this morning um, each person would hear the invitation from you to come home um, and to enjoy the blessings of this celebration that's made possible through the true elder brother Jesus who went to that distant country for us so we could experience the love of the Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.